Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And today I'm joined via Skype uh, from Paris, Mark Keys. Hello, Mark. Hi. So Mark uh, is the head of employment analysis and policy division at the Directorate for Employment, Labor and Social Affairs at the OECD, where he's responsible for the OECD's work on analyzing labor market issues and for developing employment and training policies to promote more and better jobs. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be speaking with Mark today, um, as he has had quite a long career already at the OECD and knows the OECD inside and out. And it will be a great opportunity also for the listeners to gain a little bit of insight what the OECD is doing about these issues, but also looking ahead for the future of work. So, Mark, if I could just ask you a little bit, could you please take us through what it is your role that you're doing at the OECD and and perhaps also your your career at the OECD and how you got to the role you're in now? Well, first of all, many thanks, uh, Agnes. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here on your podcast on this important issue of the future of work. Yeah, let me say a few words about my career at the OECD. It perhaps even has a bearing on on what uh, many workers are facing uh, over the years to come, which is I have been at the OECD for a long time, but in many different positions and roles. Uh, in fact, I started, um, I was only supposed to be here for one year a long time ago doing sort of a traineeship uh, for one year and then decided that Paris is not a bad place and so wanted to stay on at the OECD. And I was originally working in the economics department um, doing things like macroeconomic uh, forecasting. And then I saw the light and thought, um, these are just numbers. I want to put people's faces to them. And so I joined the um, Employment, Labor and Social Affairs Directorate. Originally started as a statistician um, working for them, then moved up to sort of working as, a, as an economist, as an analyst, uh, working on sort of the employment uh, outlook, which is our annual sort of publication on sort of labor market trends and policies in OECD countries. Did a lot of work on issues like minimum wages, um, also um, then on Eastern Europe, um, when there was the sort of the transformation um, to sort of um, a market economies, and um, and then sort of started working on country reviews. We do sort of 
country reviews on different sort of issues. And we did this series of country reviews on sort of older workers, and I was put in charge of that, um, which was a you know very fascinating. How can we keep uh, older people in longer uh, in their jobs and on the labour market? And finally, we sort of got promoted to sort of head of division, um, where basically our division looks after all sort of uh, labour market issues. We're responsible for this publication, the Employment Outlook. We do these country uh, thematic reviews. Um, we're looking at, for example, sort of policies to help displaced workers uh, back into work after they've lost their jobs. And we work uh, on skills issues. And in particular, we're very fortunate that we help put together um, this international survey of adult skills. So we have a very rich database on um, the skills of adults. So, um, and my division now currently is responsible for this new activity on looking at the future of work and what does this mean for labour market policy. Well, thank you very much for this um, introduction. And, and I think by way of introduction, I think it's also um, clarified for the listeners who may not be as familiar with the OECD, what the OECD is actually doing. And maybe I'll take already this opportunity to encourage the listeners to go and check out the incredibly um, rich uh, website and material of the OECD where I think everybody can find whatever um, data and information they're looking for. So you mentioned the future of work and just very recently on the 14th of January 2016, you organized um, a policy forum on the future of work, which was also followed by a ministerial meeting um, on uh, these same issues. So on the basis maybe of these latest um, conversations, what would you say are currently the biggest or most important challenges of the labour market? Well, I think there's two things. One is we have to sort of... Um, the theme of our ministerial meeting was sort of building more resilient and uh, inclusive uh, labour markets. Now, of course, we've just come through a major sort of economic and financial crisis, and we still see the lingering effects of that in terms of high unemployment in uh, a number of OECD countries, despite the fact that the sort of crisis really took hold in 2008. And we see that some countries are still struggling to bring down unemployment, notably countries like Greece and Spain. Um, and so... I think this is a, is a key issue, sort of how do we sort of overcome that, the, the terrible legacy of the crisis, get uh, sort of uh, unemployed people back into work, particularly young people, because we know there's a terrible scarring effect if young people are sort of uh, shut out of the labour market and don't get jobs quickly after leaving school that can have long-term effects. Mm. But as we said, so that, that, that it's important to have that sort of um, notion of resilience. But I think we need to extend that beyond just uh, resilience to sort of short-term, and, and we're in the case of the, the financial crisis, long-term sort of uh, economic shocks. We know that there are also these mega trends going on, sort of technological change, globalization, demographic change. And this is having a major impact um, on the labor market and on the future of work. How can we ensure that we have greater resilience to that change in terms of the fact that these changes become something that's positive rather than negative. They don't lead to a widening sort of inequalities or shutting people um, out of jobs. And that's the second big 
element, I think, uh, the big challenge for uh, labor ministers and, and social policy ministers is how do we make our labor markets more inclusive? So how do we make sure that everybody can enjoy the fruits of the tremendous opportunities that things like digitization and technological change are sort of are opening? So thank you very much for this overview. I have read in the statement that was put out uh, by the ministers on the uh, 15th of January a very important sentence that really spoke to me, which was that there needs to be a fairer distribution of opportunities. And I think one of the biggest issues is, is that on the spectrum of the labor market, there seems to be an abundance of opportunities for a few and just nothing for 40 million people. So how could we face these challenges? How could we distribute more evenly these opportunities, the access to skills and the access to good quality jobs? I think that's an excellent question. And um, I'm not sure we have the whole day to sort of discuss it. But um, I think some key elements of a, of a reply to that are actually in sort of what were the objectives of the Labour Minister's meeting, which was to build sort of more inclusive and resilient labour markets. I think there's two elements there, which is on the resilient side is we have been through a major sort of economic and financial sort of crisis, and that has left a legacy of very high unemployment in um, several OECD countries that we have to sort of overcome. But we have to build up resilience more generally to sort of along these longer term shocks that are also hitting our economies in terms of technological change, digitization, globalization, and also sort of rapid uh, demographic change, I mean, in particular population aging. And so how do we ensure that our labor markets can adapt to these sort of changes in a way that is sort of inclusive. So what that means is how can we ensure that all people can sort of participate in the opportunities that some of these trends are also um, uh, giving in terms of creating new jobs, new ways of working. I think what we see, unfortunately, is that there has been sort of a growth in sort of inequality not just simply some people being left out of the labour market altogether in terms of becoming unemployed, uh, struggling to get into the labour market, particularly for young people this is important because we know mm. if they don't get into the labour market at an early stage, this leads to scarring and could actually uh, change their whole life chances in terms of um, what happens to them over their careers. So it's important that young people get a good early start but then we also have to ensure that people are able to keep their sort of skills uh, up to date as well. So that's actually important as well. So, And more generally, when we think about sort of rapid uh, population aging, we know that um, we also have to increase, uh, make labour markets more inclusive because we have to ensure that people can stay and work longer and bring more people into the labour market um, if we want to sort of have our social security systems being put on a sustainable uh, financial sort of basis. So again, we have to work on those two sides, making our uh, labour markets more resilient, but also making um, them more inclusive. Um, I also wanted to acknowledge and congratulate you for, for the, the conference part of, of the policy forum where I participated. And, and I think the theme that kept coming back again and again was a lot to do also with the sharing economy and these technology-enabled platforms of um, gigs, 
of uh, smaller mini jobs basically and 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 whether you know that is something that at least offers an opportunity for some to earn some income or it is totally um, taking away the focus from uh, creating really good jobs and in particular referring to the very interesting discussion between the vice president of of uh, Uber and the secretary general of Uni Global Union, where where they just what didn't see, it was a very polarized discussion that really didn't seem to be any inclination from neither to to slowly inch towards each other to finding a solution where the technology enabled opportunities could be extended to many, but they could still have a better quality kind of um, opportunities from them. Yeah, well, I think in some ways this is an uh, old debate. I mean, we've seen this about other issues, like, for example, um, the growth of temporary employment. Now, some of the detractors say, well, temporary employment is just sort of implies greater labor market uh, insecurity, uh, low paid jobs. Other people have said, well, these can be very useful stepping stones into better jobs and they can sort of actually um, give a bit more flexibility to workers. So I think the sort of the gig economy, uh, the new forms of work sharing um, fall into a similar sort of debate. And um, I think we have to sort of sidestep that. I think what we have to do is say, look at these this debate and say, well, yes, um, these changes, uh, digitization, um, globalization, they can be disruptive changes and probably will be disruptive changes that will imply costs in terms of people losing their jobs but it also opens up uh, opportunities and that we shouldn't be subject to this sort of um, technological determinism that, you know, mm -hmm. that the future of work is going to be driven by these trends and it'll mean sort of uh, more disruption, greater job loss. We should be thinking about policies that can shape uh, the future of work and make sure that we maximize those opportunities. So getting back to your question, yes, for some workers, the gig economy, um, opportunities like Uber, they are good opportunities in the sense they do allow for greater flexibility in perhaps um, being able to manage sort of work and, and family life balance in a better way. But they can also, of course, if there's not adequate social protection, they can mean greater uh, labor market um, insecurity than sort of the traditional sort of more permanent job. But of course, for some workers and some people, we should see that that's not the choice. It's not a choice between having a permanent job or having sort of several sort of uh, part-time sort of gig-type jobs. It's actually maybe it's a choice of being uh, out of a job altogether or having sort of combining different uh, jobs. But again, I think so it's important the context and that it's the sorts of um, employment regulations and social protection policies that we put in place are um, the way that we can help actually make uh, better opportunities um, out of these possibilities that open up um, because of uh, digitization and, and the in internet. So I think that is an important aspect and that's how we can sort of bridge those two sides of the debate, recognizing there are potential costs, there are potential benefits, how do we minimize the costs and maximize the benefits is is what policymakers in particular should be looking um, at. And um, so in terms of the 
objectives um, of the forum and and maybe the future you know steps how uh, what was the discussion between the employment ministers and and the representatives of employment ministries from the OECD countries what have been maybe some inspiring promises or or thinking that that happened where they said we're going to focus on this or that on on how they're trying to find solutions to these issues well first of all i thought the forum was sort of a great success in the sense of getting people from all sides of the fences around the uh, uh, around the sort of table so we didn't just have the policy makers in their splendid ivory tower trying to think of what are the policy challenges we brought in sort of heads of uh, large and small companies um, involved in sort of the internet and latest technologies we brought in sort of academics um, so we brought in the sort of the trade unions so i think we had a lot of people around the table that could discuss what are the key challenges from their points of view so I'd, first of all identifying what are some of the major challenges what are some of the questions what are some of the answers that are needed from policies and then having the policy makers themselves i mean to sort of debate um, what they see as some of the key challenges that they're facing and trying to deal with um, and the different initiatives that they're putting in place or will be uh, putting in place i think there was a great debate um, between sort of uh, minister nales um, the german minister of employment and social affairs and um uh, secretary perez the secretary of labor from the united states about what the, each of them is, is trying to do to sort of ensure that sort of um in terms of future changes of work and given that there is this greater sort of perhaps or risk of greater labor market uh, insecurity what sort of policies do they need to put in place and they put a lot of emphasis on sort of the social policies and protection strengthening social protection and what yeah. needs to be done and and how we have to move away perhaps from some of the traditional forms of social protection that have been based on a very sort of strong uh, permanent bond between employee and an employer sort of and really with very sort of narrow definitions of what makes an employee an employee and what makes an employer an employer because that is going to going to become much uh, more um sort of ambiguous in 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 the future and so we need to adapt our social protection policies so i think that came up as as a key point and of course the other key point was always coming back to sort of skills skills and skills that you know we need to do more to actually um help people um to keep their skills up to date and learn new skills and we just see um the figures show us that there is still a major challenge because the people that do get most of the training are those people that are already have high levels of skills and qualifications so what do we do about people um with the sort of fewer skills and how do we actually give them the appropriate training that they need to ensure that they have uh, a good chance uh, in the labor market yeah absolutely and the panel discussion between minister nales and and secretary of state perez was one of the best ever conference panels i've ever been at i have to say that it was you could feel that there was this real tension in the room of everybody was so you know really really listening and paying attention to what they were saying and it was a fantastic high level discussion and i i really remember when secretary of state said that the times when 30 years of of a career ends with a a party and the pendant and the pen are over <laughs> and and i think that's so true and 
Um, uh, also, you know, in an uncertain future, nobody really knows the recipe for success anymore. So it's also very difficult, I guess, for the the middlemen. So we have here the the policymakers, heads of trade unions, heads of of companies, of sectors, and then we're talking about the individual workers, the the unemployed, the young people. But there's this big layer in the middle of unemployment agencies, of schools, of vocational education um, institutions, of line managers. And I think it's it would be really vital to somehow trickle down this knowledge and awareness to them, to this middle layer, because even if, if at policy level now we understand by the time it would get to an unemployment agency, how and what they need to do to upskill or close the skills gap, I think that for me, that's what I experience as a, as a frustration point, as a pain point in the process. Yeah, well, I, I think um, I think Secretary Perez actually sort of made an important point, which is, you know, the role of, of workers' voice, and you know that that there's an important role there that um, where sort of you have got strong uh, representation. Um, of workers, and this is including sort of uh, independent contractors, this actually can help facilitate change and ensure that um, there is an appropriate training uh, that takes place. And I think this was sort of echoed also by Minister Nalas um, about how to actually sort of improve the role of worker representation, which has been declining sort of in most uh, OECD countries and quite steeply in t if you look at trade union sort yeah. of uh, representation. So how do we actually strengthen workers' voice? It doesn't have to necessarily be done in the form of traditional sort of uh, trade unions. It can be done in the form of associations or whatever. But there is a role there that's very sort of vital um, to sort of mediate these changes. Um, and where sort of uh, workers can sort of um, organize together, um, work out what are their common needs in terms of training, what are their common needs in terms of um, social protection. And I thought that was a very sort of uh, important point uh, that was made by, by both uh, Minister Nalas and Secretary Perez. Mm, absolutely. And so what, what comes now? So there was the forum and there was the meeting. So what is it that What's going to be the follow-up to these events? How how are you continuing to support these uh, ministers and the governments in in enabling and facilitating this change and and building these resilient um, labour markets? Well, what we want to do is is several things. This really was sort of um, it was sort of the event to launch uh, the OECD's sort of program on the future of work and its activities on the future of work. We think this is certainly sort of a theme that is sort of very topical um, and it has important implications um, for the way our economies function, um, as well as, of course, for employment and social policies. What we want to do is there was very much a sort of focus on digitization uh, and the future of work in this forum. Um, for obvious reasons. That is one of the main drivers of change in the labour market. But we shouldn't forget the other drivers of, of change that are having a big impact on the way we work and how we work. And that is sort of globalisation. Even the shift to sort of a greener economy uh, will be changing sort of skill demands. And, um, and of course, rapid population ageing. So 
we would actually like to sort of perhaps continue these events and hold sort of uh, similar sort of uh, fora um, in the same way with these sort of different panels of people from representing different um, stakeholders on these different themes. So perhaps choose um, globalization and what, what does this mean for uh, the future of work and what does it mean for employment and social policies. So that's one thing. We want to carry on the work of the forum um, in, in future events of a similar nature. But we also ourselves, of course, we want to sort of deepen the, the evidence base for sort of uh, policy reflection. There are a lot, there's a lot of rhetoric out there. There's a lot of anecdotes about what does the future of work mean, yeah. that perhaps 50% of existing jobs are going to sort of disappear. We think it's time that we really... Um, deepen that evidence base and say, let's let's look at this much more deeply. Let's get a better sense of how uh, the future of work will change and is changing currently. What are actually sort of the, the size of the challenges that we're looking at and therefore how do we have to adapt our policies on that? So that's the one first thing that we'll try and do is deepen the evidence base. Secondly, we want to then, on the basis of, of better evidence, what does this mean for policy and get sort of the key stakeholders again through a process of consultation, perhaps using sort of a Delphi method or whatever, work out some sort of policy scenarios. So get our stakeholders on board to sort of work out what do they see as the challenges for policy and what and how does policy have to change and what this would actually therefore mean um, for the, the future of work. Through policy, we can actually shape the labour market going forward. We don't have to just suffer the consequences of technological change or globalisation. We can. It's the impact of these mega trends on the labour market can be very much shaped by policy. So, but we need to bring the stakeholders on board. I mean, in the past, the OECD sort of often operates. We come out with a report. We come out with our policy recommendations. There's a little bit of consultation with perhaps uh, governments and the social partners. But we want to bring all of those stakeholders in right from um, uh, the very beginning to sort of develop um, adequate policy re uh, responses to some of these mega trends and the impacts they're having on, on the world of work. So to have a better understanding and then to co-create, basically, because these are such interdependencies that pulling Absolutely. one lever is, you know, one lever is not going to change. You need to pull on all of the available levers. So... I, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the strengths of the OECD is, too, that we have to broaden this out. I mean, it's not just simply working on the levers of, of employment regulation or social protection. We have to look at all of the levers. I mean, these mega trends imply sort of uh, bringing in sort of issues about taxation, bringing in issues about um, housing environmental regulation, um, more generally, how can we sort of ensure that we we can, in, that these trends feed through to sort of uh, higher productivity, because this will matter for um, progress in, in, in living standards. So again, the OECD is sort of quite unique that we can bring in these different perspectives. And of course, the very important perspective of education and schooling and, and sort of how can we better anticipate changing skill needs and therefore feed that back into the education and training system so that young people come out of, they come out of, the, of schools with, with the sort of skills that they actually need for sort of modern labour markets. So again, the OECD, we have this sort of unique convening power to sort of reach across 
um, the different disciplines and, Silos, and um, yeah. those perspectives in, into this work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's, I think, one of the really the key strengths because these different silos are so interconnected, even though there may be three, four departments in any given country's governments in the different ministries. But uh, without cross-pollination, I think it, it would be very, very difficult to come with adequate response to these challenges. Now, time is running, unfortunately, a little too fast always uh, on the podcast. So, Mark, uh, I would like to um, take us to the last question of the Work Life podcast, and that's the same one we always ask to all of our guests. If I could ask you to give uh, one advice, or maybe the first advice, to a CEO, how they could start preparing or be prepared more for the future of work, what would that advice be? Well, when I think um, as as a head of division with sort of 30 people working under me, uh, 30 very sort of uh, talented people, of course, you've got to always think of how can I use their talents uh, better. But I think what's very important is you've got to have a sense of sort of um, openness to change and to sort of innovation and instill that um, amongst the people that um, are working for you and get people uh, to be ready for change. So get people to sort of question, to keep questioning, why are we doing the things we're doing in the in the same way? Are sort of new developments in terms of digitization, the internet, um, are these allowing us or giving us possibilities to do things in a better way? Not simply to be more productive, but even perhaps to improve our work-life balance. So I think it's that sort of openness to change and continuous, uh, continuously questioning the way we're doing things and instilling that um, amongst your colleagues and the people sort of working for you is, is probably the most important thing. And then if people are prepared for change and not just um, thinking I will continue to always work in exactly the same way, then I think it helps them to adapt to the changes that will confront them and that they will need to have to face um, in the future. So that would be sort of my key advice. Fantastic. So I think that's you. You have just given us and the listeners basically the definition of resilience building. Is is I think what it is 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 to be bendable, <laughs> to to Absolutely. bend with the wind and then not to break. So thank you so uh, much, Mark. I, I really really appreciate that you took the time to be with us and share with us all this insight. It has been really valuable. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Agnes. Thank you.